Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. I'm Heather Vale, and you're listening to the Odyssey Las Vegas Public Affairs Show. Today I'm speaking with Gina Marie Strong, Director of Development for the Shade Tree of Las Vegas. The Shade Tree is a 24-hour accessible shelter designed to meet the needs of domestic violence and human trafficking survivors and their children. Gina strives to bring awareness and funding to the Shade Tree's mission. She leads all fundraising efforts for the nonprofit organization, as well as managing marketing, social media, community relations, and events, including their upcoming Champagne and Pearls fundraising brunch. Gina, thank you so much for being here today. Hi, Heather. Thank you for having me. So besides offering shelter, what exactly does the Shade Tree do? We offer like you said, shelter, but also really a program and resources for victims of domestic violence and human trafficking, women and children primarily, but we really do help everybody who needs our assistance. When was the organization first started? We were started in 1989. So we've been serving Las Vegas for 33 years. And uh, we've really evolved our services over the years. And we have helped the unsheltered population as well. But right now, the way the current organization is set up is really about a 90-day program for victims of domestic violence and human trafficking. And the ultimate goal is really to be able to get these people the stability and the self-reliance, the dignity, and the resources they need so that they can live on their own, have careers, and never return to an abusive situation. So what does that journey look like from the time someone shows up at the shelter door trying to escape a domestic violence or a human trafficking situation until the time when they're ready to never go back to that again? What kinds of resources and education do you give them during that time period? So we really meet everybody where they are and customize a case management plan for them based on what they really need. So during the intake process, we find out about their situation, if they have children, if they have pets, if they have a job, if they need childcare, if they need victim services, um, for instance, a restraining order, a temporary protective order. And then the case manager works with that client, make sure that they, most of the time they need their own place. That's what we see the most often is that they're escaping a violent situation and need their own apartment. So we work with them on getting them a rental assistance, like a down apartment. Um, we do work with them if they need access to substance recovery, if they need childcare, if they need to get their child enrolled in a new school district, things like that. So it really just depends on their situation and what they need. And then we work with them over that 60 to 90 days. And if they need a job, we help them with that. 
interview skills, resume help. We have so many amazing partner organizations we work with as well in the community um, to really set them up for success. And then typically when they leave us, what we'd love them to see is that they're full-time employed, they have the child care they need, and they have um, an apartment access to funds to keep that apartment sustainable. And like I said, those three things we find are key to them then being able to be on their own and not return to an abuser. Yeah, that's amazing. How big is the need for domestic violence and human trafficking services in Southern Nevada? It is such a great need that it isn't always fun to talk about, but we have a very high demand. We currently have 125 clients and about uh, 45 of those are children. And we are serving people every single day. We have intakes coming into our doors and there's other organizations in town that are helping as well. Um, So there's a really great need here. Um, And the more awareness we bring, the more funding we bring to the organization, the more people we can help. Okay. And speaking of funding, tell us about the Champagne and Pearls event that you've got coming up. We're really excited to be hosting our signature spring event. Once again, this is the third year. We first launched the event in 2020 in early March, just right before the world shut down. Um, (laughs) So it was paused for 2021. And then we brought it back last year to great success. And we're very excited to have it once again. So it was originated to celebrate International Women's Day and to bring awareness to whatever the International Women's Day theme is each year, as well as awareness in the community of what we do and what the shade tree is. But we found that it's really a great way to bring the community together to celebrate women, to um, learn and and be open-minded about what the topic is, which this year the topic is embrace equity. And so we bring together these amazing female trailblazers from the community in a panel experience. And we ask them questions thought-provoking questions to really drive home that theme. And then the audience asks questions as well. We also just celebrate the day by having some nice brunch, champagne. Um, We have a shopping experience. Um, So we have local female artisan vendors who can sell items to our attendees. Um, We have a photo booth and we have ways to connect with the shade tree as well. So really just a great day of networking, awareness, a little bit of fun too. And uh, we're really excited to have that this year on Sunday, March 5th. Yeah, sounds like a lot of fun. So who are the female leaders and trailblazers that are being honored this year? So this year, we're very excited. We had a mistress of ceremonies, Marie Mortera. Um, She's a local journalist. And she is our mistress of ceremonies, as well as our uh, one of our panelists. And then Our moderator is Puna Mather, who is a public speaker. She's a longtime resident of Las Vegas. She's had executive roles here in the community and now kind of runs her own public speaking business. And she's absolutely amazing at asking those hard, thought-provoking questions that really get valuable answers out of the panelists. Um, So really excited to have her moderate once again. And then we're inviting um, Roxanne McCoy, who is a local business owner and also the president of the NAACP Las Vegas 1111 branch. We also have Norma Intriago, who is the executive director of Dress for Success Southern Nevada, which is another amazing local nonprofit in the Valley that we work very closely with. 
we love to highlight other nonprofits as well because we believe in that collaboration is so important. And then we also have Piper Overstreet White, who is the vice president of government relations for the Las Vegas Raiders. And Linda Perez, our CEO, will also be making an appearance as well to talk about the shade tree um, and share her story. Nice. Okay. So how do you choose from all the amazing women that we have in this community? How do you choose the ones that should be honored each year? That's a great question. I wish I could include everybody. (laughs) I wish we could have such a huge panel. Um, Last year, we had some great panelists as well, local business owners, another nonprofit. And we, um, we felt that five panelists was so much. We couldn't get enough of the good answers from everybody. So we narrowed it down a little more. Um, and we really just looked to people who he- we had connections within the community that have either donated to the shade tree or partnered with us before, um, like Dress for Success Southern Nevada and Roxanne and Piper have been supporters as well. So somebody who already kind of knew what we were doing in the community, but also had some outside experience in their lives that they could then bring in and share with the group because we really want the audience to hear from a lot of different female voices and not just always from the nonprofit lens or, you know, from a business owner lens. So we have, we tried to just make sure that the experiences that they brought to the table were varied so that the audience could connect with these different women. That's awesome. Okay. So you mentioned it's on Sunday, March 5th. What are the rest of the details, the time, the place? So it's Sunday, March 5th. It's at Emerald at Queens Ridge, which is where we were last year as well. Beautiful venue off of Rampart Boulevard in Charleston. It's from 10.30 a.m. to 1.30 p.m. And like I said, that includes the champagne, um, mimosas, unlimited, also non-alcoholic beverages. If no one wants to partake in the alcohol side of things, we've got juices and tea, coffee. Then the brunch is included as well, which this year we're doing more of a tea sandwich type of brunch. So I'm really excited about that. Shopping experience, panel experience, photo booth. We wrap everything up around 1.30, although last year we kind of wish we could stay later. And tickets are available on sale now for $150 per person. A table of 10 is available for $1,450. So if a company is looking to bring out their folks or they want to sponsor, we do have tables and sponsorships available, but that individual ticket price is $150 and tickets can be purchased. We have a BidPal website, but it's a little long for me to explain. So the best way to find us is to go to theshadetree.org and there's a pink button up at the top that says champagne and pearls. And if they click on that, they'll be able to find the ticketing website, which explains all the details for the event, as well as lets you purchase tickets, tables, or sponsorships. Nice. Okay. And then if people are interested in helping out the shade tree in other ways, whether by volunteering or by making a donation outside of the event, how would they do that? The best way to find out what we currently need is by visiting the shadetree.org and, and going to the Donate Goods dropdown. The Donate Goods dropdown lists our current donation wish list, which we update seasonally, and that lists all of the items that we need, sizes of diapers we need, sizes of clothing we need, the types of food that we need donated, you know, things like that. So that's the best way to kind of find out our current needs. Of course, monetary donations are always needed and always welcome. Um, but I would also say that food drives and food donations are so very valuable to us right now. 
I know everyone's experiencing a rise in food costs. And so we, we are as well. And we serve approximately 12,000 meals a month to our clients. You know, that's three meals a day um, and snacks. So there is a very uh, large need for food right now. And whether that just be an individual who can just pick up a case for us at Costco or whether that's a company or an organization that wants to do a food drive, those types of things are very, very valuable to us. Okay. And do you use volunteers as well? Absolutely. We need volunteers to help us sort through all those donations. <laughs> we also utilize volunteers in our kitchen um, and in our donation center. And so there is a form they can fill out on the shadetree.org under get involved. And they can click on volunteer, fill out their information, and then our volunteer coordinator will get back to them. Um, there is a very kind of quick, easy background check that volunteers do need to go through um, because of the sensitivity of the clients that they're encountering at the shelter. Um, but after that, we can get you signed up usually within two weeks and get you, uh, get an individual or a group in to volunteer. We can customize volunteer opportunities as well if a group or an organization wants to come in. Oh, great. Okay. So once again, theshadetree.org is the website to go to, theshadetree.org. If you'd like to donate goods, there's a drop down. You can donate food. You can donate money, of course. You can click on Get Involved if you'd like to apply to be a volunteer. And if you'd like to attend the Shade Tree's third annual Champagne and Pearls fundraising brunch, you can get tickets there as well. And that's happening once again on Sunday, March 5th from 10.30 a.m. to 1.30 p.m. at Emerald at Queens Ridge on Rampart at Charleston. And it sounds like such a fantastic event. And of course, the money being raised is for such a good cause. So, Gina, I want to thank you so much for being here, letting us know more about what the Shade Tree is doing and, of course, about the upcoming Champagne and Pearls event. And I really appreciate your time being here. So thank you so much. Thank you, Heather. We really appreciate you um, raising awareness about this event and our organization. Young or old, black or white or anything in between. From employees to entrepreneurs, doctors to detectives, some things define us and set us apart, but there's one thing that binds us. Before anything, we are one thing. Born to be Americans. Proud to be Americans. Our United States are our united fates. Know your constitution. Unity. It's an American thing. From AmericanThing.org. I'm Heather Vale, and you're listening to the Odyssey Las Vegas Public Affairs Show. Today, I'm speaking with Jackie Craper and Sarah Odia, committee chairs for the Junior League of Las Vegas's 20th annual Paint the Town Red event that's coming up. This gala is the organization's largest annual fundraiser, and it honors those who have made outstanding contributions to volunteerism and developing the potential of women in our local community. Jackie and Sarah, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you, Heather. Thank you for having us. So what exactly does the Junior League of Las Vegas do? Sure, I can answer that. So the Junior League of Las Vegas is an organization of over 500 women who serve the Las Vegas Valley. We are a nonprofit comprised of all volunteers. We have helped establish dozens of nonprofits that you see across the Las Vegas Valley today including Help of Southern Nevada, the Shannon West Homeless Youth Center, the Discovery Children's Museum, Shade Tree, and more. So our mission centers around a culture of volunteerism, developing women, and improving the community. 
This mission is central to our work in diversity and inclusion as we see direct parallels. We've been in the Las Vegas community for over 75 years now. We just celebrated our 75th anniversary last year. Nice. Okay. Now, when you say that you help establish nonprofits, what does that look like exactly? Yeah, so we help provide initial funding, initial grants to help establish nonprofits, and then we continue our partnerships with them. So for example, with the Shannon West Homeless Youth Center, we were able to provide them with funds to, to help open the center, but we also have our volunteers help the children in the youth shelter. Um, We have volunteer shifts where our women go in and help with making meals and providing education to the youth who are there. And how does Junior League of Las Vegas help women achieve their potential? So women have the opportunity in the Junior League to do things that they may not do um, either at home or in their career. Um, So for example, I'm serving on the gala committee and I really have no prior experience putting together a nonprofit event like this. Um, We have members who serve on our board of directors in different capacities who may have never served on a board before. It's just a really great organization to help women grow and establish a skill set that they may not have outside of this organization. Okay. Just out of curiosity, where did the name Junior League come from? That's a great question. So the Junior League is a member of the International Association of Junior Leagues, the AJLI. And that's comprised of 291 leagues around the country and more than 140,000 women. So we are the Las Vegas chapter of the AJLI. And does it refer to it being young women that are mostly involved? I don't know. You know, that's a good question. I don't know exactly where the name Junior League came to be. I don't know if it had something to do in the beginning with younger women being involved, but that's not our demographic necessarily. Now we have women of all ages involved. Nice. Okay. So Jackie, tell us more about the 20th annual Paint the Town Red event that's coming up. Yeah, I'd be more than happy to. So every year for the past 20 years, the Junior League of Las Vegas has been hosting its largest annual fundraiser event, which is Paint the Town Red. This year, it's going to be taking place on Saturday, April 1st at the Venetian. As I mentioned before, it is our largest annual fundraiser. What's really special about Paint the Town Red Gala is that we honor individuals and organizations who are making an outstanding contribution to volunteerism as well as developing the potential of women in our local community and really overall making a really big impact on the growth and development of the Las Vegas community. This year, we're super excited because we have three amazing honorees. We have our Lifetime Community Achievement Award recipient, Luann Kutch, who is a longstanding Junior League member. We also have Florence Lee Jones Humanitarian Award, which we're happy to share, is going to be recognizing Elizabeth Blau. And this year, what's really special too is our Community Impact Award recipient. This is actually the second year that we've done this award. We launched it in 2021. And this year's recipient will be UFC, really focusing on the UFC 
foundation and the community work that they've been doing since establishing their headquarters in Las Vegas. I did not even know that UFC had a nonprofit wing to it. Yes, they do. Interesting. It's a newer nonprofit component, and it was they launched their corporate social responsibility program in 2017. Um, and UFC has partnered with over 175 charities around the world, and including local charities such as Make a Wish of Southern Nevada, the Ronald McDonald House Charities of Greater Las Vegas, Three Square Opportunity Village, among many more. Wow. Okay. Those are a lot of organizations that we feature on this show as well. So that's awesome. So why do you choose the specific honorees? What do they do that makes them stand out and be worthy of an award? I think every year it really varies on um, the individuals. There's so many amazing individuals that make an impact in the Las Vegas community. It's actually, it's very challenging for us to recognize But when the Junior League of Las Vegas got together this past year to look at potential recipients, you know, we really wanted to take a step back and look at those women and organizations that are making a lasting impression and really looking outside and thinking outside the box for opportunities to expand and create new opportunities for women and youth in our community. Nice. Okay. And why is it paint the town red? That makes it sound like you're going to go totally crazy. (laughs) I heard one of our sustainers talking about the origin of the name. I can't remember how many years ago, but it wasn't always paint the town red gala. It, and it can be changed. I think just decades ago, the committee members who were starting gala came up with that name and it has stuck. Yeah, well, it's great. It makes it sound really exciting. So, <laughs> It really is an exciting event. I mean, the name is Paint the Town Red, and every year the co-chairs of the gala, as well as the committee members, they'll come up with a theme. So last year we did a Great Gatsby Roaring Twenties theme. This year is our 20th, and so we're doing a Met Gala celebration. Really making it kind of the fashion event of the season and our attendees get all dressed up. And so it's really wonderful to see them uh, get go all out in their attire and their fashion. And we have a lot of exciting entertainment components. So it's a really interactive experience that allows hundreds of attendees to get together and just enjoy a wonderful evening uh, and raising money for a good cause. Okay. Do you know what some of the items will be that will be up for auction? So. Our big ticket items, we are not going to reveal our live auction items. We aren't going to reveal yet, but we have lots of silent auction items right now, ranging from restaurant experiences to Raiders tickets, aviators tickets, and some of them we haven't determined how we're going to put them um, together in packages, but we have quite a few uh, really great silent auction items right now. Nice. And who are some of the entertainers for that night? So the entertainment is still going to be announced in the coming days and weeks. We normally announce that a little bit closer to the gala. And we like to keep those entertainment components a little bit of a surprise for the attendees so that uh, they have something to look forward to when the event comes. Yeah, that's great. Have a nice surprise. So what specifically does the money that's raised during this fundraising gala go to support? 
So it, it goes to support all of our programming for the next league year. So this really is our largest fundraiser. So all of the work we do with the Shannon West Homeless Youth Center, we have pop-up food pantries for Three Square. We give out education grants to um, youth in the community. All of those projects that we do are m- mainly funded by the funds that we raise during our gala. Okay, nice. So how can people get tickets if they want to attend the Paint the Town Red event? So tickets are available. We have a lot of different options, Um, individual tickets, table tickets um, for groups of 10. They are available at under GiveSmart platform. So the website is www.pttr23.givesmart.com. There's also opportunities to where they can make donations through the website, as well as there's tickets that are available with a tax deductible contribution. And uh, all the details are on the GiveSmart website. Okay. And besides this, I mean, obviously, you, you mentioned this is your largest fundraiser of the year, but what other events do you have going on throughout the year and various different projects? Yeah, so we this year we had our first 5K, and that was in the fall. Um, we invited you know the community to come out and to support that. We had a bar crawl last um, fall that also I think that was our third year doing the bar bar crawl. We invited you know everyone in the community to attend, and we raised money for Junior League that way as well. We also have our Fashion Forward events which takes place actually this April after gala. And that will be taking place at Zappos in downtown. We also host a holiday open house. And that's an opportunity where you can adopt a child or a family and put together gifts for them for the holiday season so that they have presents to open up uh, on Christmas morning. Wow, that's fantastic. Okay, so if listeners are interested in maybe getting involved with Junior League of Las Vegas or perhaps making a donation, where would they do that? So they can go to our website, jllv.org. There is a big red button at the top that says donate. There's also a big red button that says join. So every year we, we have a provisional class of members who want to join And the provisional class begins in the summer. So if you want to add your name to that interest list and be a part of our provisional class or get more information about it, you can do it at the website. Okay. So once again, jllv.org is the website to go to if you want to find out more about what the Junior League of Las Vegas is doing, if you'd like to apply to join, or if you'd like to make a donation, all of that is at jllv.org. And if you want to attend the fantastic Paint the Town Red Gala that's coming up, you can get tickets at PTTR23. That stands for Paint the Town Red 23, 2023. So PTTR23.givesmart.com. PTTR23.givesmart.com. And Jackie and Sarah, I want to thank you both so much for being here, letting us know more about what you're doing and the impact that you've had on our community in in Southern Nevada. It's amazing 
I didn't even realize all the different nonprofits that I deal with on a day-to-day basis that you helped establish and that you continue to help support and all the amazing work that you're doing. So it's fantastic to hear about that. And also thank you for letting us know about the Paint the Town Red Gala coming up because it really sounds like a fun event. So I appreciate both of your time. Thank you so much. Thank you, Heather. Thanks, Heather. We don't want you on our team. You're not the right fit for this job. You're too slow and fat. Don't you care how you look? Weight bias hurts. Go to StopWeightBias.com, a public service message from Obesity Action Coalition. You're listening to the Odyssey Las Vegas Public Affairs Show. I'm Heather Vale, and joining me today is Lindsay Clark, Senior VP of Health Education and Advocacy at the Alliance for Aging Research. February 22nd is Heart Valve Disease Awareness Day, and while around 11 million Americans are affected by it, 75% of adults know little to nothing about it. So the Alliance for Aging Research is encouraging people with risk factors to take the Listen to Your Heart screening challenge. Lindsay, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you so much for having me. All right, so let's bring some awareness to it. What exactly is heart valve disease? Heart valve disease is actually a disease that can affect one of the heart's four valves. So when you have damage to a valve and it won't allow the blood to pass through the heart as it should, it develops into heart valve disease. And as you mentioned, 11 million Americans are affected by this disease. What are the symptoms of it? There's a number of symptoms and we have a handy mnemonic to help people remember because we want people to listen to their heart. So the mnemonic is listen. So first, people should be looking for lightheadedness, feeling faint or dizzy, um, an irregular heartbeat or a heart flutter, sometimes even chest pain. S is shortness of breath. So that can happen even after light activity or while sitting or lying down when we wouldn't regularly feel short of breath. Uh, T is for tiredness, even after we've gotten plenty of sleep. E is edema, which is the swelling of the ankles or feet. And then N is just not feeling like oneself and missing out on daily activities that you don't usually miss out on. So if things just don't seem right, we're asking people to listen to their hearts and go see their healthcare professional. Okay. And you mentioned 11 million people are affected by it, but what is the outcome? Is it something that we can live with or is it something that kills us? Well, it's an important question. It definitely needs to be treated in most people. There are some types that are not that serious and they can just be monitored by a healthcare professional, but others can be very serious and about 25,000 people die from it every year. So the important thing is to get it diagnosed um, and then it can usually be successfully treated in patients of all ages with a valve repair or replacement. Okay. Now, when we're talking about risk factors, so people with risk factors should take the screening challenge, what exactly are the risk factors of heart valve disease? Well, the most common risk factor is age, which is why we're talking about the Alliance for Aging Research. We know that one in 10 people over the age of 75 suffer from moderate to severe heart valve disease. But there's other things that can contribute to risk. So, there are certain infections that can impact the heart. They're not as common, um, but they do happen in the U.S. There are certain radiations and chemotherapies for certain cancers that can damage the valve. And then those things that we already know contribute to other types of heart disease, things like diabetes, high blood pressure, high cholesterol, obesity, those all increase heart valve disease as well. And having had other heart incidents, having a previous heart attack, or heart failure, those can all change the structure of the heart and the valves and contribute to risk. 
So can someone develop heart valve disease only after having something like a heart attack? No, that's a great question. I'm glad you asked it. No, it, it can just develop from the normal wear of tear, wear and tear of aging. So someone might not have any of those typical risk factors we think of for heart disease, um, and they may develop heart valve disease. Okay. So how can we protect ourselves from developing heart valve disease or at least lessen the risk? Right. Well, we can't control our age. Yeah. <laughs> but we can manage those other risk factors that we talked about, like eat a healthy diet, get exercise, maintain a healthy weight, and then manage those risk factors like diabetes, high blood pressure, and cholesterol. But the other thing is that we want people to get their hearts listened to regularly because while we talked about those symptoms earlier, some people don't have any symptoms. So we really need to make sure we're seeing our healthcare professional regularly and that they're listening to our heart with a stethoscope. So that stethoscope check of the heart is a really simple way for our healthcare professionals to find if there's an irregular heart sound or a murmur that could indicate valve disease. Then they're going to refer, if they hear that, for other cardiovascular tests to confirm the diagnosis. But getting in there, making sure they're asking, making sure they're, you know, for a heart check and that they're having their heart listened to is really critical. So is hearing a heart murmur kind of the first step? If we have a heart murmur, we're likely to have heart valve disease or just it's something to look into further? It's a good question. And like we said, I said earlier, there can be types of heart valve disease that aren't that serious. So just because you hear a murmur doesn't mean you need to be alarmed. It's definitely something that should be looked into and should be referred for other tests. Okay. So the listen to your heart screening challenge that's happening right now, what do we recommend? Just going to see the doctor and saying, listen to my heart or is there more to it? No, that's exactly it. And the whole point is to show how simple it is, right? So go in, get your heart checked by your healthcare professional with a stethoscope. And then we're also asking people to consider sharing it on social media. So to put up a picture in the doctor's office, put a picture of yourself on the way to the doctor's appointment, maybe even take a picture of your calendar showing that you made the appointment and then share it on social media. We'd also love it if people could do something for Heart Valve Disease Awareness Day, which is on the 22nd, and perhaps post something between now and then showing that they intend to do it. Um, we also expect that on the day, we'll see a lot of people showing um, that they listen to their hearts. And this is a way of not only taking your heart health seriously, but showing everyone who follows you on social media that, that you take it seriously and, and everyone else should as well. Okay. Is there a hashtag that they should add to the social posts? Yes. Thank you for asking. It's hashtag valve disease day. They can also add listen to your heart. Okay, awesome. So where can listeners go to learn more about heart valve disease and valve disease day events? Well, they can go to valvedisease.org and learn all about it. Um, there's an event page so people can see if there's something happening near them. There's an, uh, a lot of really interesting events happening online and in local communities, including some screening events. They can also find us on social media by following that hashtag valve disease day. Okay, awesome. So once again, the website is valvedisease.day.org, valvedisease.day.org. You can find out everything that's happening on Valve Disease Day, which is February 22nd, just coming up in a couple days. And if you go and take the Listen to Your Heart screening challenge by going to your doctor and having him listen to your heart, take photos, share it on social, and use the hashtag valvedisease day and hashtag listen to your heart. 
And Lindsay, I want to thank you so much for being here and letting us know about this important, important disease that is obviously affecting a lot of people. And yet a lot of us are still unaware. So it's amazing that you've been here to share with us and that we have an awareness day coming up so that we can do more and help more people. So I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you for having me. My name is Jamie Bowles, and I was diagnosed with non-small cell lung cancer in December of 2018. Nobody would even know looking at me that I have stage four lung cancer. And I'm grateful for biomarker testing for that. When I was sitting down with my oncologist, there was already state-of-the-art medication available that I was going to be put on right then and there. Ask your doctor how comprehensive biomarker testing before treatment may help you decide on the best treatment. Visit noonemist.org to learn more. A public service message from Longevity Foundation. I'm Heather Vale, and this is the Odyssey Las Vegas Public Affairs Show. Joining me today is Kevin Moran, Associate VP of Regional Affairs for the Environmental Defense Fund, or EDF. Kevin directs state and federal policy advocacy for EDF and EDF action in Nevada, Arizona, and New Mexico, which are now experiencing the worst drought in 1,200 years. Kevin, thank you so much for being here today. Thanks very much for your work and uh, for the opportunity, Heather. So for those who aren't familiar, what is the Environmental Defense Fund? The Environmental Defense Fund is a 501c3 nonprofit based in the United States, but with global work and contributions. Our mission is to ensure a vital earth for everyone. So we work on the health of the natural systems on which we all depend. Okay. And when was it first founded? Environmental Defense Fund was founded in 1967 actually by a group of concerned citizens and attorneys in uh, Long Island, New York, who were concerned about actually the, the death of Osprey, who were dying from pollution that they highlighted and, and helped, to, helped to end in their community. Wow, so it's grown a lot. And then what is EDF Action? EDF Action is the advocacy affiliate of Environmental Defense Fund. So uh, environmental Defense Action, uh, their focus is, is lobbying and advocacy to change public policy. And also, uh, that, that's where the activities occur, where we support candidates for election. Okay. So what are the water conditions currently in the Southwest? Well, Heather, as I don't have to tell you or your listeners, they're, they're very dire. The Colorado River Basin, almost all of it has been in drought for over 21 years now. Flows in the Colorado River have declined 20% since 2000. And climate scientists are telling us that we need to be planning and making arrangements for an even smaller river, for even less water supply in the hydrology of the basin. So that means we have to think about how we use and manage water in different ways and make sure that we're protecting priority environmental values and the fundamental health of the river. We're, we're in a tough situation. And in a number of parts of the basin, particularly in Arizona, where my work is based, you know, in 85% of the state of Arizona, there's no management of groundwater. So the effective rule, believe it or not, is deepest straw winds. Doesn't matter how long you've been there. Doesn't matter how you use water for your home or your ranch. Someone else can come in, a big industrial user, and can pump the groundwater and even pump your well dry and you have no recourse. So we're working to change that in Arizona as we also work on the health of the river system overall. 
Okay, so we know that the water levels are low. We can look at Lake Mead and we can see that the water levels used to be much higher. But how do we know it's the worst drought in 1,200 years? Well, we know that because of climate science and the advances that have occurred in the last 50 to 60 years. We can look at tree ring records and know about uh, about hydrologic conditions uh, going back to uh, roughly the year 1200 with a great deal of, of confidence. Uh, and so we are in the second driest era in that 1200 year period. And we also have gotten a lot more sophisticated in understanding what climate change and aridification, maybe a new word for your listeners, it was new to me a year ago, what aridification is doing. Aridification means a longer term drying period. The word drought in some ways doesn't doesn't really tell the story anymore. Because when people hear drought, they think, oh, well, a wet period's coming. A good rain next year will solve it. And mm-hmm. that's, that's not what we're dealing with. We're dealing with a long-term drying trend. And for a long period looking forward, we're looking at less water available in the Colorado River Basin most of the time. And that's how we need to be planning. So that makes it sound like it's a continual downhill motion from here, less and less and less water. Well, what it means is that, you know, from a from a water management standpoint and as a society, you know, we we have to plan based on the best science and the the best expectations that that our scientific insights can give us. And and right now, uh, that means a declining supply in most years. Now, we also know from climate change and aridification that there's going to be greater volatility. So a lot of the storms that we where we have and that we're expected to have are going to be very strong. And so capturing uh, uh, stormwater runoff in a number of parts of the West becomes increasingly important. But we are talking about the need to plan for less water and having it decline in the coming few decades to a lower level. So where does the Colorado River originate? Where is the water actually coming from? Well, about uh, a little over 70% of the water originates uh, in the upper basin, up in uh, the mountains of northern Colorado and uh, uh, southwestern uh, Wyoming. Those mountains on the in that part of the west produce about 70% of the volume of water. And then uh, uh, Colorado overall produces a very high percentage from the watersheds there. And uh, the, the western slope, as it's known in Colorado, is the source of, uh, of a majority of the water. So that's everything on the western part of the Continental Divide in Colorado. And then a little bit originates uh, in New Mexico as well. The upper basin states, of course, are New Mexico, Colorado, Wyoming, and Utah. Okay. So is it that there's less snow on the mountains and therefore less runoff feeding the Colorado River? Or is it that people are using too much and draining the river? Well, it's really a combination of both. We, we see that in most years, there's less snow and less snowpack. But even more pronounced than that, Heather, is less runoff. With uh, drying conditions, the soil and, and the, the plants are really thirsty. And, and, and so what happens is even when you have sort of a normal snowpack and sort of a normal rainfall, the amount of water that actually ends up in tributaries and rivers 
for human consumption and for our communities is actually less. So a few years ago, for example, we had an 89% of average snowfall. The runoff amount was in the low 30% of average. Wow. That is aridification, and that's what we're dealing with. Okay, so what actions is the government taking on water conservation? Well, there's a whole range of things that are happening, and we need to move even faster on the good ideas and the good strategies that are being deployed. I have to compliment Las Vegas for being a leader in urban conservation. Las Vegas has worked very hard to drive down the amount of water that residents use and really promote an ethic of conservation. Other communities need to follow suit uh, in the West. The other thing that's happening is that the states who control uh, under the law of the river, they control the allocation of the Colorado River. The states are negotiating additional cutbacks in how much water is taken from the river. Now, there's been some progress on that, but honestly, they need to move even faster and they need to do even more to take less water from the river. So an example of that would be the government has been incentivizing farmers and irrigation districts to forego use of the water that they might otherwise have a legal right to use. So it's called, uh, demand. It's called, it goes by different names, demand management, system conservation. So for example, the Colorado River Indian tribes, uh, whose reservation straddles California and Arizona, just south of Las Vegas, the Colorado River Indian tribes conserved 50,000 acre feet a year for three years, and they were compensated for not using that water. So that water stayed in Lake Mead, and it helped stabilize the system. Okay. What is EDF Action asking the government to do next? Well, first of all, we have to manage all of our supplies and think of it as one water. So for example, in Arizona, we're encouraging the state and the governor to authorize locally tailored groundwater management in that 85% of Arizona where there's no groundwater management. Secondly, we're encouraging the states the seven Colorado River Basin states and the federal government and Mexico to work together for additional conservation on the Colorado River. Progress has been made, but it needs to move faster and at a much bigger scale. Thirdly, we're working with the members of Congress and the administration in Washington to increase the amount of money that goes for forest and watershed health, for demand management, for incentives for for communities to use less water in ways that make sense for their economies and their future, and to also think about how we can promote collaborative agreements between water users so there can be sharing of water in different periods. Okay. So besides waiting for the government to implement new changes, what can we do to help out, even though it feels like an individual can't make a big impact, but the little things that we can all do to make a difference? Well, the first thing we can do is, you know, we can be a water security voter. You know, we can be a water voter. And uh, I'll wear my EDF action hat here for a minute and say, you know, you ought to be looking at, at what candidates' positions are on water and are they focused on conservation and on the health of priority environmental areas? That's one thing you can do. Uh, second thing is, you can support your local government and your local, uh, your city and county governments and your state government when they talk about uh, additional conservation. So, for example, in Phoenix, there's a lot of, uh, there's still a lot of grass. You know, I grew up in Phoenix, went to high school there. There's still a lot of turf that in Las Vegas is being phased out. So cities like Phoenix can remove non-functional turf and can create an even stronger 
more more ever present uh, ethic of conservation. Uh, the third thing I would say we can do is we have to educate ourselves about water. We have to be careful not to be beguiled by you know big water importation schemes and think that there's a silver bullet. There's no silver bullet here. We have to use all the tools we have, all the proven water security strategies, conservation, reuse, stormwater recharge, recharging aquifers. And yes, we do have to look at augmentation and desalination. But the danger here, Heather, is that we'll think that there's a silver bullet here. There isn't. It takes the all of society working together and working on innovation and conservation long term. Okay. Now, where can people find out more information about the Environmental Defense Fund and about EDF Action, the advocacy partner, and find out more about what you're doing and maybe even how they can get involved and help? Well, uh, you can certainly go to edf.org or edfaction.org if you're more interested in the direct advocacy and and campaign aspects of our of our work. And uh, last thing I would say is. You th- think about what's happening to, to address the underlying cause of climate change. We can't fix this with a bunch bunch more concrete and dams. We have to address the underlying problem, a big portion of which is aridification supercharged by climate change. That means a transition to a clean energy economy with good paying jobs. And we need to build on what we've already started with the generational uh, investments in clean energy from this administration. Well, now you've just opened a whole new can of worms. (laughs) What should we do to help implement more clean energy? I mean, Las Vegas is pretty good. There's a lot of solar here. There's a lot of wind energy here. There's a lot of EVs here. But what else can we do to implement more clean energy? Well, you know, uh, Nevada and Las Vegas are incredibly well positioned to benefit from the transition to a clean energy economy. There's already over 30,000 jobs in the clean energy sector, and that's going to grow substantially with the widely popular investments in clean energy and creating jobs that have happened through the big federal laws that were passed. So one of the things you can do is you you can be uh, looking at incentives for saving money at home and for being more energy efficient at home. And uh, there are uh, there's an increasing focus on the impact of these big uh, federal laws on on people's lives. So I would encourage folks to check out a couple of of websites. One is called rewiringamerica.org, rewiringamerica.org. Check that out. You can can see where you could save money when you decide that you need a new appliance at home or or what you might be looking at uh, in terms of your transportation and electric vehicles. Okay, awesome. So once again, edf.org is the website for the Environmental Defense Fund, edf.org. If you want to find out more about what EDF Action, the advocacy partner, is doing, that's edfaction.org, edfaction.org. And if you'd like to find out more about saving money and clean energy and going green, rewiringamerica.org has the resources and information for you there. And Kevin, I want to thank you so much for being here today, letting us know about the situation right in our own backyard and what we can do to help. Very much appreciated. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. Appreciate your interest in your work.
Somewhere, there's a river rushing through the woods while someone rushes through their day. There's a mountain looking up at the sky while someone looks down at their phone. A trail waiting to be walked while someone waits for a latte. This world is full of somewheres waiting for someone just like you. So go see yours at 154 National Forests and 20 Grasslands. And to learn more, visit nationalforest.org. The National Forest Foundation. See your somewhere. I'm Heather Vale with the Odyssey Las Vegas Public Affairs Show, and this is your community events calendar for nonprofit initiatives and charity events around the Valley. February is American Heart Month, and you can support the Children's Heart Foundation by dining at Buddy Velastro Restaurants. At Buddy V's Ristorante, a portion of prefix lunches and dinners will go directly to the Children's Heart Foundation. And at Pizza Cake, the Boss Cafe by Buddy Velastro, and Buddy's Jersey Eats, you can donate to the organization at the the register. Also, Founders Coffee will donate a portion of their red velvet drink to the Children's Heart Foundation. Find out all the details at chfn.org. That's chfn.org. February is also Age-Related Macular Degeneration, or AMD, Awareness Month, and retina specialists are urging you to get eye exams for early diagnosis. AMD is the leading cause of blindness and vision loss among Americans over 60. Find out more information and tips at seeforalifetime.org. That's seeforalifetime.org. Monday's Dark with Mark Chinook is a bi-monthly musical fundraising party at The Space, with each event raising $10,000 for a specific charity in 90 minutes. Upcoming shows include this Monday, February 20th at 8 p.m., benefiting Poor Richard's Players, and Monday, March 6th at 8 p.m., benefiting the Epicurean Charitable Foundation. Get tickets or find out more details at mondaysdark.com. That's mondaysdark.com. February 22nd is Heart Valve Disease Awareness Day, and while 11 million Americans are affected by it, 75% of adults know little to nothing about it. So the Alliance for Aging Research is encouraging people with risk factors to take the Listen to Your Heart screening challenge. Make an appointment for your doctor to listen to your heart, and find out more at valvediseaseday.org. That's valvediseaseday.org. The Shade Tree's third annual Champagne and Pearls fundraising brunch is happening Sunday, March 5th from 10.30 a.m. to 1.30 p.m. at Emerald at Queens Ridge, 891 South Rampart at Charleston. Each guest receives brunch, mimosas, an interactive panel discussion, gift bag, shopping experience, and more. This signature event celebrates Southern Nevada female trailblazers in advance of International Women's Day. All proceeds benefit the Shade Trees mission to provide safe shelter to domestic violence and human trafficking survivors and their children. Get your tickets or find out more at theshadetree.org. That's theshadetree.org. The second annual Links to Hope Golf Classic to support Hope Link of Southern Nevada is happening Friday, March 10th with an 8 a.m. shotgun start at Camara Golf Club in Henderson. Proceeds go towards Hope Link's mission of preventing homelessness, preserving families, and providing hope. The Golf Classic will also feature friendly competitions, prizes, and an afternoon awards banquet to recognize the day's winners. Sign up to golf, attend the banquet, or become a sponsor at linktohope.org. That's link, the number two, hope.org. 
the fifth annual Walk for Friendship Las Vegas Fundraiser Walk and Community Carnival is happening Sunday, March 26, with check-in at 10 a.m., walk at 11 a.m., and carnival at noon at Las Vegas Sports Park, 1400 North Rampart. Support the Friendship Circle's efforts to provide social and recreational opportunities for children and young adults with disabilities. Find out more or register to walk at walkforfriendshiplv.com. That's walk, the number four, friendshiplv.com. The Junior League of Las Vegas, or JLLV, is hosting its 20th annual Paint the Town Red event on Saturday, April 1st at 6 p.m. at the Venetian Resort. This is JLLV's largest annual fundraiser, honoring those who have made outstanding contributions to volunteerism and developing the potential of women in our local community. Find out more info or get your tickets at jllv.org. That's jllv.org. The Baller Dream Foundation and Circa Resort and Casino are hosting a celebrity poker tournament from April 28th to 30th at Circa Resort and Casino's 60th floor rooftop lounge, The Legacy Club. This three-day celebrity-filled weekend experience is hosted by Hall of Fame pitcher Greg Maddox to benefit young warriors battling cancer. Find out more, get your tickets, donate an item to the silent auction, or sign up to play poker at ballerdream.org. That's ballerdream.org. And Make-A-Wish Southern Nevada's holding their Walk for Wishes event on World Wish Day, Saturday, April 29th at Town Square, Las Vegas. Make-A-Wish chapters and affiliates across the globe come together each year to celebrate World Wish Day, the anniversary of the wish that inspired the founding of Make-A-Wish back in 1980. You can join in the celebration of more than 350,000 wishes that have already been granted while raising funds for future wishes. Sign up or find out more information at wish.org snv. That's wish.org snv. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did.